Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Los Angeles Magazine podcast, an audible version of our monthly rag, where we go behind the scenes of our print pages to explore all the reasons why LA is the place you want to be. It is February, and this month we explore the ins and outs of apartment living in LA, which, more and more, is the only option for those looking for shelter in the city. Also, we look back at the smart watches of old, hit an underground supper club with a live goat and a stripper pole, and spend a little time talking to both God and Jeff Goldblum, which you'll soon find out is sort of the same thing. First up, let's check in with associate editor Chris Nichols, uh, the man whose job it is to explain the inner workings of this complex city to itself. That's right, it's time to ask Chris. Hi, my name is Jenna. I'm 26 years old. I live in LA, and I want to ask Chris. I'm employed at DreamWorks Animation in Glendale, and hear rumors that the land was an airport. Is that true? Well, Chris, uh, what's the answer? Was it an airport? Uh, yes, it was, and there are little bits of it still there. It was 113 acres, and it was very popular in the 20s and 30s. It's where uh, Amelia Earhart and, and Howard Hughes flow out of, and um, it's got a uh, administration building, like the uh, like the hub, the center of it is still intact, but the actual airfield section is um, now an industrial park. What is the hub now? What does that structure act as? Well, it's been empty for a really long time, and it's um, becoming a center for the Walt Disney Company to have like these all hands big staff meetings. It's a, a giant meeting room. Um, the DreamWorks part was where they made helicopters and it's where they made the first telecopter, TV helicopter, the television helicopter. It's where they made um, um, special weird helicopters from movies and TV. You know, Batman had a helicopter and it came out of that place. Um, but they are still in business and they're still doing it. They're in Van Nuys now. Okay, I am here with our style editor, Linda Immediato, who is here, thankfully, to tell me in February, what am I supposed to shop for? Um, what, am I, what am I wearing in February? Uh, this month we focus on accessories. So, and you really have your pick here. You can choose from high contrast, black and white. Okay. So there's a lot of that handbag, shoes. We featured a, a crossbody bag by Todd's, which I think is a little unique for Todd's. It's kind of a little edgy. It's got some bling on it and some studs and, um, and some marble printed Louboutin pumps. So black and white accessories. So you can wear like a bright green dress and then break it up with, it's almost like the new neutral. And it's not, and a, is it, it's not about having like black on with white. It's like really about items that are, that use both, right? Right, right. Mixed together, sort of black and white stripes or black and white geometric patterns or photo print in the case of Louboutin. So it, it's just like a kind of a way to, it's almost like using it as a new neutral. You can wear it with jeans and a white tank top and black and white pumps. You, you, sky's the limit there. I all, we also feature, featured watches in February and I'm a big fan. And the idea was that smart watches are getting all this play and I, we looked back at some of the classic watches, watches that were milestones in horology, which is the you know um, making of watches, the science of making watches. Your word of the day, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> horology. Um, so we featured um, Omega, um, and here's a lesson: Jeje um, Le Court. I learned how to say that. Um, and Philip Patek, and a classic Rolex. So there's a little history in there about these iconic watches. So that's a really fun read. I think a really quick little tidbit kind of read. Yeah, I mean, but. give me like a quick snippet. So what's what's historical so, about, I mean, what, so these watches are actually, are they revived designs from classic no, they're, time? No, they're actually, they've, they've, they've never gone, never gone, gone they've away. They've never gone away. They keep adding different, they're called complications when there's a movement that requires a series of, of gears and mechanisms and 
and actually like gemstones to make this per like perpetual motion. Mm -hmm. So the annual calendar and the perpetual uh, calendar that was invented by uh, Patek Philippe. Um, I feel like I know exactly what to wear and shop for in February. So thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. Uh, I have executive editor Matt Siegel here with me who's going to talk about um, a few buzzy things that are going on in sort of construction projects happening uh, throughout LA. So what, it sounds like we're building a lot of one thing in particular. What exactly is that? Lots and lots of hotels. The city's in a, in a boom that we haven't seen since, I don't know that we've ever seen a boom like this, uh, but maybe in the 1980s. So might be seeing as many as 46 hotels going up in the next, I don't know, decade, something like that. Um, so yeah, where are all of these hotels taking, I mean, being built? Are they all in West Hollywood? Um, are they all on the beach? Are they all downtown? Downtown is the primary zone. You're seeing some in West Hollywood. So there's the Dream, which is up at Selma in Hollywood in, uh, in April. But the downtown is, is getting the lion's share of them. The earliest openings are the Dazzler. <laughs> Dream and the Dazzler? Yeah, I love what? These, names. these are not respectable places to stay. These sound like cheap motel rooms. <laughs> the Dazzler and the Esplendor are both being um, opened by this real real estate group from the East Coast. But then there are some monstrous things going in as well. Mo monstrous in size. Okay. Not, not <laughs> aesthetically. So the Indigo, like if you ever drive I, on the 110, you I, see I'm that. I'm sorry, giant... is, that, is that also the name? The Indigo? Yeah, yeah the We've name. really got it. It's like beaches up in here. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, there are some good ones. You know the really tall JW Marriott Ritz mm -hmm. that's by LA Live? There's a, there's a partner hotel that's going up there. Um, is that going to be three hotels in one? Between the two, I think there's going to be maybe 1,100 rooms. It's going to be pretty huge. Wow. I, th I think that's it. Um, and then, of course, there's a Wilshire Grand, which that that's going to house the Intercontinental Hotel, and that opens up in 2017. And there are several other towers that are going up, too. So it's kind of a mix. Well, this all sounds uh, very exciting. There's a lot to look forward to in LA's future. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, you're welcome. I know you've been waiting for it. God knows I have. It is finally time to eat. I, your humble host, also functions as the magazine's food editor. And as such, uh, I'm here uh, along with my associate food editor, Josh Scherer, to discuss uh, all delicious parts of Los Angeles in the month of February. Um, hello, Josh. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, so let's talk about some new restaurants. I sent you this to this assignment um, as a part of your job. And I read it later, and it sounds like there's like... Um, Stuff got weird. Yeah, stuff got really weird. I mean, in the in the best way. What's the What's the name of this uh, this this crazy place? So the official name of the place is uh, Antibellum, not Antibellum, but Antibellum, Antibellum Voodoo Noir. Uh, so it was part of the Antibellum um, pop up series that Chef Samuel Monsur was doing. He's originally from the South. Uh, anyways, his newest pop up is uh, Antibellum Voodoo Noir. Uh, which, like all great things in life, happened when a bunch of different people met at Burning Man. Mm. Uh, he was Susan Sarandon's private chef at Burning Man. <laughs> uh, by and the way, then... <laughs> I, like, I really like the fact that Susan Sarandon goes to Burning Man. It fits right in with all of my Susan Sarandon That's fantasies. Funny, I knew nothing about Susan Sarandon before oh, I started creeping on this dude's Instagram and, and just saw her in like a gas mask and like, you know, throwing up deuces. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Su Susan Sarandon's, she's wild. She's ride or die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He met a bunch of performance artists, and they all kind of just got together and decided to do this uh, performance art meets pop-up dinner with antebellum southern cuisine meets, like, eyes wide shut underground dining orgy. Um, you just threw a lot of weird words together in a sentence. It's so hard to describe <laughs> this. People always ask me about the story, and I always have to do, like, a, okay, and, like, gather myself and start, because there's no simple way to explain it. 
Anyways, they, they have uh, Emmy-winning actor Kiko Ellsworth, who is also the uh, Haitian drug dealer in Bad Boys 2. I'm sure all of you remember that. He plays <laughs> the uh, voodoo not. witch doctor in this dinner series. So uh, all the guests, and tickets are $333 a piece, uh, 666 if you want to do the Ascendance experience. Does that just include, like, a bag of drugs? <laughs> I, th- I think it was just a bag of drugs, yeah. It's like, I don't know what the markup is either. Like, I know food cost is, like, 30%. They just give you a whole bunch of molly with uh, after your meal. <laughs> no, I think... I think you, like, get a private suite uh, with your drugs. Okay, sure. Um, and so diners come in, and they're immediately handed a mask. Uh, it's like a kind of Mardi Gras mask, a kind of um, masquerade ball type thing. And they're instructed not to speak. And uh, for the first hour, they're completely silent. Oh, and uh, the most important part, there's a pygmy goat, just a live pygmy goat on a coffee table munching ahead of Romaine. Mm. And so uh, Kiko, who is the witch doctor, uh, didn't have a name, he, at some point during the dinner, comes out with a machete... And uh, he's yelling in this kind of proto-Cajun Creole accent at the diners. And uh, meanwhile, I mean, there's like a burlesque show going on. There's a stripper pole. There's a woman twirling around it. There are fire dancers. Uh, and Kiko uh, like pulls up his machete and he goes, Who want to eat some goat? It's my best impersonation. That's good. Thank you. Uh, and all the I'll diners it gasp. It's funny because the diners actually collectively named the goat Patrick. Not sure why. I missed sure. that part. And they all go, Patrick, no! <laughs> and he goes, okay, fine, we eat goat salad instead. And then on cue, the uh, servers rush out a plate of, like, a goat kefir and crab apple dress salad. And it was really, it was funny because I was there for a lot of the process while they were planning this, and it seemed like this crazy ambitious thing, and I was like, there's no way they're going to pull that off. And everything was just so well orchestrated. All the rituals were timed with the dishes. There was a chicken foot broth, and they were talking about the chi- the the... Uh, chicken foot voodoo rituals. With there many live chickens there, it sounds like. And there were. There were eight live chickens. There were even live chickens in the bathroom in cages. There were live chickens on, on the table in a cage. So so a couple couple questions here, because this sounds super weird and wild and kind of fun, but um, like, how was the food? I mean, is it one of those things where it's like more interesting than it is delicious, or, or you know, no, how I that mean, that's No, I mean, that's one of the reasons I actually wanted to follow this, is because I've had the chef's food before, and I know the guy can really cook, and so it was a lot of really incredible dishes, and moreover, everyone seemed to be having a really great time. Maybe it was the drugs? <laughs> Maybe that it was could those free drugs. Performance-enhancing drugs, but... Um, um, if one wants to be a part of this um, crazy experience, how, how would one do so? So uh, one would go to antibellum.com and sign up for tickets there. And it's moving, the, right? It's maybe not in Venice. It's going to be maybe somewhere else. It is, yeah. So It's the, a roving uh, thing. It is a roving thing. It, it uh, may be hosted at Prue and Proper downtown, but we're still waiting on confirmation from that. Sure. Well, um, it sounds very uh, Mardi Gras appropriate for the month So um, and just kind of freaky. So I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. And bring your own drugs, probably. I don't know if, it, <laughs> was, if you can. I don't know if it's included in the package, but uh, sage advice, uh, sage advice from the staff at Los Angeles Magazine. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah, no worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, I am here with Marielle Joachim, our arts and culture editor, and she's here to tell us in February what we are supposed to go do. The first thing that I would definitely recommend everybody get a ticket to ASAP is um, an Act of God at the Amundsen Theater. It is the adaptation of... Are you familiar with the tweet of God on Twitter? Uh, yes, I do follow God on Twitter. Okay, so I feel like all... it's... I feel better about myself in yes. a lot of ways. That Twitter account was adapted into a play by the guy who runs that Twitter account. His name is David Javerbaum. And it's a one-man show. Sean Hayes stars as... he's Well, God inhabits a celebrity's body. This time it is Sean Hayes. Okay. Before it was, ironically, uh, Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory, which is just kind of hilarious. 
And basically, he does a one-man show giving a new set of Ten Commandments for the current age. Ah. Or if I'm, uh, if I'm, like, if I'm really devout, like, is this going to be my cup of tea? If you're really devout, and if, if you were offended by Book of Mormon, I would say probably skip this. Okay. But um, if you can have a sense of humor about it, uh, I personally am devout and am planning to go see it. So I think that it can be fun. Is, so. it, is it a musical? A play? No, a it's a play. It's a play. It's God on stage, and he's got his two archangels with him. And uh, there is audience participation, so... Be prepared if you go that you might get asked or get to ask God a question, which we got to do actually in book. We got to ask God a few questions. Wow, we really we get great access <laughs> yeah, here at Los Angeles Magazine. We go right to the top. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, wow. So. Talk about a big interview. Yeah. Apparent, according to God, this is his first time in Hollywood. So, wow. Yeah, it's the first time they would let him in. He said so. <laughs> this sounds hilarious. I'm yeah. gonna go see that. Okay. Um, but maybe I want to just listen to something music-wise. Can you tell me what's happening in February? Yeah, what's really cool is that a super local hometown band called Run River North um, is coming out with their new album. It's called Drinking from a Salt Pond. to see them perform at MacArthur Park. I had never heard of them. They were so awesome. They totally blew me away. They kind of got some fame after performing on a late night show, um, but they're still kind of waiting to take off, and I think that this sophomore effort from them is actually going to be really, really sick. So their first album sounded a little of Monsters and Many. This time it's got super gritty lyrics, kind of just like they really found their sound this time, and so I feel like this one is, is going to be going to be pretty good. And it's out this month. It's out this month on uh, February 26th. So while we're talking about about angels, godlike figures, personal heroes, mm-hmm. I really want to get into who our, uh, our lightning round interviews with this month, the one and only... Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Yes. What a what a unicorn of a human. So we interviewed Jeff pegged to his recurring show at the Rockwell Table and Stage. Um, it's kind of like, I feel like this is a hidden gem of Los Angeles. Everyone I've talked to about this has no idea that on a weekly basis, they could go see Jeff Goldblum play jazz for them at the Rockwall Table and Stage in Los Feliz. So um, we chatted with him about that show, and we talked to him about a whole slew of other things, like how he is clothing optional in his dream life, and who he would fight dinosaurs with on the streets of L.A. Now I'm going to ask you a series of strange and seemingly unrelated questions. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Okay, so first question. <laughs> Wes Anderson or Wes Montgomery? Ah, that's so funny. I'd say Wes, um, Wes Anderson. If you had to fight off a triceratops, or, or a dinosaur, which Angelino would you choose to be your sidekick? Someone very steeped in science mm-hmm. who could tell me, you know, Jeff, wake up, you're dreaming. There's no such... <laughs> world where dinosaurs exist with people. <laughs> that that would be the best companion. You know, yes. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I don't know if he's uh, uh, from Los Angeles, but I, I met him once, but I think that was in New York. I don't know where he's from. But he's a citizen of the world and the cosmos, of course. Oh, my god! belongs as much to Los Angeles as any place. If you and the Mildred Snitzer Orchestra could busk on any street corner in L.A., like play for money on any street corner yeah. in L.A., which one would you choose? Which street corner? Yeah, which street corner? Uh, Sunset and Crescent Heights. There was a guy there for a while who did one of those very interesting uh, performances where he was twirling the sign. A sign spinner. <laughs> so, you're asleep. Okay. You're dreaming. I am. Are you playing the Hollywood Bowl backed by an orchestra of puppies? Or are you playing the baked potato naked? 
<laughs> I do have a recurring dream where I am naked. I mean, the truth is that I would, that I very well may dream the other thing, because uh, I'm often uh, clothing optional in my dream life. Sing me some lyrics to The Fly, if The Fly had a theme song. The Fly? Yeah. Jeez, okay. Uh, in my teleporter, why don't you come in now, and we'll both become a single person. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, of course, once again to John Williams' uh, <laughs> melodies from Jurassic Park. All, all movies have that same melody. All movie themes have that same melody. Oh, my gosh, Jeff, you are such a delight. Well, thank you so much. You so, so, so much. Okay, talk soon. Oh, okay. Bye. Bye. I need to not only see Jeff Goldblum play jazz, but I need to pretty much hang out with him yep. every day, all day. So uh, thanks for that, and thanks again for uh, chatting us up about February. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm here with uh, Los Angeles Magazine's editor-in-chief, Mary Melton, who is here to talk to us about our monthly big read. This month's piece really seems remarkable in terms of the sense of access that the reader is given to an area of Los Angeles that people usually don't get a chance to see. It was remarkable for that. The story was written by Miles Corwin, who's a fantastic reporter, covered crime for 10 years for the Los Angeles Times, has written two books on homicide, and in his reporting on homicide and, and cops, he was very interested in what happened to the children who often were taken away from these crime scenes. And he never really knew where they went from there. So he petitioned the judge who presides over the Family Services Court to have access to emergency response workers, social workers, who work for the Department of Children and Family Services. You never get access to these responders and social workers, mostly because of privacy, right? They want to protect the children and the families who are being seen in perhaps their, well, let's hope, their worst moments. But he felt like there was a way to actually tell the story of the social workers. You only hear about them when something horrible happens, mm -hmm. right? And it affects so many children. As he says in the story, and it's a very affecting line, is it's not a good time to be a kid in Los Angeles, right? 15% of children under the age of five are affected by these specific cases that they're following, right? So that's a huge number. So they get 80,000 calls annually on this. So he was able to sit in at the Pasadena offices of DCFS and go out on calls with them and to see, is this a dangerous situation that this child is in? Does this child need to be find other family members to go with? Does this child need to come home with them, be occupied with them, and find the, you know someone in the court? To, it's just the routes that these kids take, but also the heroic stories that come out of it. We hear a lot of the horrific stories, and there are horrific stories, right, that come out of this. 80,000 calls a year, there are going to be. But you also see through this that there are moments of real transition and transformation for people. There are images and, and transitions that happen in this piece that I'll never forget. A big read indeed. Um, well, thank you, Mary. You're welcome. Okay, so we are to the cover story of the February issue, which is about apartment living, which um, is more and more today the way people are living in Los Angeles, because as many of us know, housing prices are at an all-time high. Uh, to help us talk about the life of the apartment dweller, apartment seeker, and the apartment renter in Los Angeles is Marielle Joaquim, our arts and culture editor, who also is uh, an authority on the subject as a renter. Is that <laughs> it's correct? True. It's very true. Um, many of us are authorities on this. 
guys. But um, renting itself is not necessarily cheap. Um, the average rent in the city has gone up to something crazy, like for a two-bedroom place, it's like 20. Yeah, I mean, apartment hunting is expensive. I think the most expensive uh, area of the city to live in, actually, is the Santa Monica Marina del Rey area, which runs for, for just a two-bedroom, runs over $3,700 on average per month. So, ah! for rent, yes, it's... It's outrageous. Compared to in the 90s, the, the same two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment would have been around $880. Um, but there are a few sort of um, myths that I'm hoping that you can debunk for yeah. me um, about, about renting. Because we, we, we go through a few of these in the issue, and I learned quite a lot. So, so one common myth is that you'll benefit if the landlord lives on the property. You want your landlord there. Yes. Is that true? Um, You know... It's true, but it's not true. Uh, isn't <laughs> so, that the way it is? It is extremely helpful sometimes to have a landlord on the property because they're prompt on maintenance and they can help with upkeep. And if you need something, they're right there. But on top of that, if you're part of the younger crowd, you like to have friends over, you're blasting your Skrillex at one in the morning, which is stays this, up till one is in the this morning your anymore. life, Maria? <laughs> this is 100% not my life. Okay, so another myth that we have is um, that the, you want more amenities. The more amenities an apartment has, the better. Gym and parking and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah, uh, no, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so um, sometimes people who move to Los Angeles that are transplants seem to think that having, like if they land the perfect apartment, everything will, will go right. Um, so if, you know, if they have a pool, everyone will think they're cool because they live in an apartment with a pool. But, or if the apartment, or if the apartment has a gym, it's like, but that gym only has one elliptical in it and you're <laughs> never going to use it because it's not a real gym. So you end up hiking the price for the apartment that you're paying for, um, for these on-site amenities and then you never end up using them. Okay. Um, and this one is a real estate sort of, it's a truism across the board, I thought, uh, location, 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 the three most important words in real estate, correct? Yes, correct. Well, correct in a sense, incorrect in the way that we are talking okay. about Okay, all right. But um, we're, you know, a lot of times in Los Angeles, people think that, that if they move to this great apartment by Griffith Park, that means they're going to hike every day. Or if they live in Venice, it's like, oh, I'm living in Venice, so I'm going to surf every day. But... Just because you live next to something doesn't mean it's gonna it's gonna improve your life in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, where sh so then, what location should I live in? Well, you, sh you should think about what you need and want out of an apartment and make a list of of uh, makes and breaks, and whether that's you know covered parking or even a doorman or you know make a list and stick to it because it's going to end up making you happier in the long run and kind of don't worry about all the ancillary things that might not fall into place right away. I do have to say I take issue with this particular one because the end of this tidbit in the magazine says that like, don't worry, you don't need to live in Venice, you can just drive to Zuma on the weekends instead. Mm -hmm. Are you insane? <laughs> have you tried this? We will never do that. It's that true. is the word. I will say I, I actually, I stand by the other argument here where I kind of feel like because getting around LA is so hard that be by the thing you really want to be by because it's really hard to get there otherwise. I would say that's true, but I would say it's true in a sense of like if you want to be close to your work because you don't want to have to wake up super early to commute the 40 minutes, then live close to your work because yes, that means you'll go to work in the morning. So, there. okay, so while we're talking about location, mm -hmm. um, we do break down sort of the different, there is sort of this one thing that, that you're looking for in the place that you live. If there's something that you really seek or you feel like it's a priority for you, you break down what areas we should live in. Yes. So, let's say, and these are all either complete lies or hypotheticals, <laughs> uh, let's say I am single. Yes. Where do I want to live? Uh, you would probably want to live in Culver City. It is a burgeoning neighborhood, so many restaurants, so many cool things to do, a really fun downtown. 
Um, and I mean, by LA standards, it's moderately affordable. A one bedroom costs uh, $19.50 on average, which sounds astronomical, but I mean, hey, if you're a you know successful screenwriter crushing the game, then do it. You're right by Sony. Um, <laughs> right by Sony. So, okay, next up, let's say then I am the opposite of single. Mm-hmm. I have kids. If you have kids, uh, we think that Atwater Village is a really solid spot for you. Also, an up-and-coming, well, not up-and-coming, but also an established, lovely neighborhood, a little more family-oriented, lots of great little cafes and shops that are family-friendly, um, and that would be 2400 for a two-bedroom in Atwater Village. Um, as somebody with kids who does live near Atwater Village, I will agree that um, it's a great So let's say I am from New York and I I just miss that urban vibe. Should yeah. I move downtown? You Well, you know what? We'd say you should move to Koreatown, actually. Oh. Yeah, if you miss that urban vibe, there is so much going on in Koreatown. It's just bubbly and all these great, you know, karaoke bars and restaurants and shops and all this cool stuff. It's just a really hip vibe and I feel like a lot of New York transplants kind of think like, huh, this this actually there are parts of this that feels like that feel like home. So um Koreatown on average for a one bedroom runs at about fourteen fifty per month. Okay. If I if I do want that sort of beach feeling I crave the salt air Mm -hmm. I I need to be by the coast I have to be near water Mm -hmm. where should I live you should mentally prepare yourself that it's going to be more expensive to live by the water than anywhere what do you whatever do you mean (laughs) I do find that people are shocked when they come from other cities and they don't understand that like wait you don't all live by the beach and it's like there's a reason for that exactly the 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 real estate is it gets a markup right when you get to the ocean so um if you crave that salt air pacific palisades is always a good option or venice but be aware if you move to pacific palisades on average that one bedroom is going to cost you $24.90 per month. And Venice is a little more aggressive. For a one bedroom, it's $28.10. Wow. Um, yes. That explains the Airbnb in yeah. Venice. Um, well, thank you for all these handy tips. Yeah, um, if you're looking pleasure. for an apartment, you guys can get more information at lamag.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks, Marielle. Thank you guys very much. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I need a drink, which is great because I happen to have here in my office slash our studio, uh, <laughs> Caroline Pardia, otherwise known as Caroline on Crack, uh, the drinks editor at Los Angeles Magazine, who is here to talk a little bit about something that we explore in the February issue, which is whiskey. Uh, hi, Caroline. Hi, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. So whiskey, you know, when I, I people tend to think, and I tend to think of LA as sort of a clear spirits town gets the reputation of being sort of the vodka soda, Mm -hmm. capital of the universe. Um, Where does whiskey stand, you think, in L.A. today? Um, Well, it it hit like a peak, or it became a big hit with 2007, um, Seven Grands opening. Um, That was like a whiskey-dedicated bar, and nobody had ever really done that before. So since 2007, whiskey has been uh, increasing in popularity. Um, now there's like old fashions on tap and but on people may not know that yeah you can oh, yeah. now get like cocktails on tap like you can get wine on tap beer mm-hmm. on tap and like maybe a Manhattan yeah. on tap yeah totally so I mean the fact that an old fashioned is on tap because like old fashioned when you make an old fashioned it's like you have to have like the bitter like um, bitters with the sugar and the you know it's like it's a balancing act so it's amazing that people can find it on tap so readily because it's so popular that they want to be able to like you know just do volume old fashions. So yeah, it sounds like the mainstream has turned, has definitely turned mm-hmm. on to whiskey, um, which, you know, people, it, it was also sort of a spirit people drink at home and now people are drinking it more and more out. Mm-hmm. Um, so which leads me to, you are out, how many nights a week do you go out, do you think, Caroline? 
<laughs> I'm always, I'm curious. I um, I go out, like, every day of the week except Friday, Saturday. So let's yeah. just say you have a handle on the bar scene in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so that leads me to, you know, if you wanted a whiskey drink or wanted to enjoy whiskey, what are a couple great places that you like to go? Oh, um, well, I just went to Bar Jackalope recently, and I, I've always known that that's been, like, the spot to go for whiskey, but they're only open, like, I think Sunday through Thursday, but um, they have an amazing selection, and then they'll, like, do a little flight, and they'll take you through the, the different whiskeys. Um, Where is so Bar Jackalope for those? Oh, sorry. Because it's, kind of, it's, well, it's kind of an interesting location. Um, it's um, in the back room of Seven Grand, so it's a bar within a bar. Yeah. Which is a whole other trend we <laughs> yeah. can get into, which I've noticed lately, yeah. but... But yeah, it's um, Lynn Doe, that bartender you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, um, she's we, we we have we talk about her a little bit in the February issue, and she like she has this dress that she hand embroidered that fe- with pictures of the distilleries. That she has are... dresses. Oh. <laughs> like she'll make a dress for every like every whiskey, like and it's the theme colors, and she'll have like the shield or whatever. Like, but she hand makes them. I'm like, you should put that on Etsy. You know, like you should sell those. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, she should. She's I, but, really talented. but yeah, and she, um, I guess, was a poet before she did this, mm-hmm. so she uses really kind of quirky, unconventional yeah. tasting notes, and yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's awesome. So, um, Bard Jackalope. So, is that more? Is it more high end whiskeys? Do they have things from every price range? Do they specialize in any way? Um, I think it's like if you're serious about whiskey, that's where you would go. I mean, they do have like high prices and everything like that and it's a smaller venue and you have to like ring the bell to get in you know so it's like you gotta be really serious to go Ooh. inside there <laughs> yeah you'd be on a mission yeah exactly and sometimes you won't be able to get in because i think it's like what eight seats or something crazy like that um and then they have like a patio um which is like a i mean if, and it, the thing is not that they'll be snobby to you if you don't know about whiskey but if you're curious about whiskey and you're you're willing to like um fork over a little bit money then yeah i think that's a good yeah, no, it, it has um, has a really really huge selection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's another another good spot that's known oh. for its whiskey list? Um, well, ten pound, <laughs> ten pounds another. I mean, that's actually I feel like it's it's really pricey because they have like a fifty dollar um, limit. Like you can't spend less than fifty dollars, and like they have their Manhattan is like sixty six dollars. Wait, no, that's a Rob Roy, but it's crazy. <laughs> Still, the Manhattan is forty dollars. What make is it just the the booze that's in it that yes. makes it that expensive, or are they putting like gold leaf on it? No, it's the booze. So like I think it's like a McAllen eighteen. For the Rob Roy. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, but I think I would go there just for the whiskey instead of the cocktails. Because the cocktails are like, ah, oh, you know, you don't really want to do that to the whiskey. <laughs> um, and where is uh, 10 Pound? Now, that's another one that's a, a bar within a venue. So it's um, actually over um, in Montage in Beverly Hills. And it's over Scarpetta, which will no longer be there. But And do you have to make secret. reservations, or is it hidden? Um, you could make reservations, but they have like a secret phone number where they, <laughs> they won't give it out to you, so, but they make it hard for you to find it, but you can still find it. Like, you just call the front desk of the montage and say you want to be connected to 10 pound and they'll connect you. Say, so, I want to spend $66 on a yeah, Rob Roy. Exactly. <laughs> they'll, they'll find a way. They'll find a way to get you I in, know. I have a feeling. So those are some great places to drink it, but you, I learned right before we um, started this uh, recording today, that you like a a little special something along with your whiskey. yes. So I love cocktails, but if I'm going to drink whiskey, I would have to have it with a cigar. Because... (laughs) By the way, I just want you to see how cute and dainty Caroline is, and then picture picture her with a big, big glass of whiskey and a giant stogie. Yeah, it's great. It's just like, you know, like, especially if it's a scotch, you know, like the smokiness of it. And then some of these places, like a McCallum, I'm not, yeah, a 10 pound, they will 
pair the uh, whiskey and cigar, you can ask them like, well, I want this whiskey, which, because they have a cigar menu, like which cigar would you think would be great with this one? And you just like, there's nothing like just sitting there, you know, smoking your stogie and just like sipping on really good whiskey. Like it just feels like this is a good life. Uh, this is great, I'm thirsty. It is now officially almost happy hour. So um, with that, uh, I'll leave you with cheers. All right, cheers, Thanks, clink. clink. Thanks, Caroline. <laughs> So I am back with uh, Associate Editor Chris Nichols, who is here to enlighten us on a bit more uh, LA history for the month of February. Well, I was thinking about that Grand Central Airport that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. and, and I was remembering a story that you and I both heard this week about young baby uh, Imagineer Bob Gurr, uh, the guy that invented all the ride vehicles at Disneyland, um, told us last week when we had lunch with him that he snuck into the airport when he was a little kid. If you've ridden in something that moves at Disneyland, chances are Bob Gurr designed it. Yeah, we did a piece <laughs> on him a couple months ago and he has a book called Just For Fun, uh, designed Just For Fun, I think it's called. And we did a piece in the magazine about him, but you know, he's just such a, he's such a great and active guy in his 80s that it's just um, incredible. I mean, you know, he, and to imagine what he must've been like in, in his you know, 20s starting out doing this stuff, taking out all these jobs and doing them in a matter of weeks. I mean, all of Disneyland was built in, you know, about a year. And so to do all these jobs so quickly that have lasted for so many decades is kind of amazing. Yeah, I feel very privileged that we were able to meet and, and talk with him and, and have him in our offices. But um, he's also just one of those people that I think every all of our listeners and all Angelina should be proud to have as one of our fellow residents. Because he's, sure, he's, yeah. he's a national treasure, as definitely, they say. Definitely, definitely. Cool guy. Uh, well, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks everyone. That's it for February. Uh, please join us next month when we celebrate the almighty Saturday. That's right, we have 52 ways to take advantage of that day that comes between Friday and Sunday. Also, we will talk with actor Will Arnett about his new show, Flaked. We will take a very SFW, safe for work, look at uh, the world of see-through clothes that are very in and abandon our carb phobia for once to seek out the city's very best loaf of bread. <laughs> 